What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Roger Ferguson of TIAA, the black business leader, weighing in on voting legislation. I do not see this as a partisan issue. I think this is not a Democratic or Republican issue. This is an American issue. And the former Fed vice chair sees a booming U.S. economy. I expect the next couple of years to be ones of very robust growth. Um, most economists had expected that, and I think many of us are actually you know, marking up our growth expectations, both for the U.S. and globally. Plus, Robinhood adding millions of crypto trading accounts, causing ripples in retail investing. A lot of ripples. A lot of ri- Uh-oh. Is Ripple a cryptocurrency, too? I didn't mean it. Those stories and Amazon's union vote, Florida's governor says, let my people cruise, and Procter and & Gamble and privacy settings. We know so much about each other. Uh, yeah, we do. Way too much. It's Friday, finally, April 9th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Amazon holding a commanding lead right now in the union elections at one of its Alabama warehouses. We've been paying a lot of attention to it. Uh, When counting stopped last night, there were 1,100 votes against unionization, uh, 463 votes in support. Counting will resume today with more than 1,000 ballots left to count. Now, the president of the retail, wholesale and department store union called for the NLRB to probe Amazon's conduct during the election and said this still represents an important moment for working people and their voices will be heard. But a lot of people have obviously focused on this uh, effort um, and whether it would spread uh, throughout the rest of Amazon uh, and perhaps others if that happened, what, what would happen uh, to the business, to some of the margins, to pay, of course, is what so much of this is all about. Um, but at the moment, it appears um, that uh, this effort, at least as of now, uh, does not seem uh, like, a, like a union is going to be formed uh, in this location. I think what's even more interesting in this perspective is the lack of interest. I mean, only 55% of the eligible voters even voted in right. this election. So it's something that has drawn national attention. People are playing this up as a huge vote to watch. But I was pretty surprised when I saw only 55% of the voters even bothered to cast a vote in either direction. Don't talk about unions votes, that's for sure. And it, it, there has been a slight move back from really low levels historically. What did we get down to about 7%? I mean, there was a time uh, back in, you know, back in the 20th century. Everybody, you know, everybody knows the story. And there's been a long, slow decline. A lot of people say that's one of the, you know, people argue. Some people say that's one of the reasons for the, the income gap uh, swelling. Other people say it just there's a reason that, that uh, that's become, I don't know if I'd call it anachronistic, but... Uh, for example, at Amazon, they have some pretty good benefits already, don't they? Pretty good pay, pretty good. Uh, uh, yeah. They, they um, you know, there are times where 
uh, in the past where a union was the only way you could get management to l even listen to your concerns about so many different things. And I'm just not sure it's, it's like that uh, anymore, necessarily. But uh, yeah. Amazon, the, the, work, the people down there get to make their, their own decision. Maybe it would be different in a different state. I don't know. Is Alabama um, not the, the greatest testing ground for a union vote for Amazon? I don't know. Right. I don't know. You just made, though, the point about, about the employees having voice. And I think one of the things that has changed, I actually would argue it's even changed over the last three, or three to four to five years, given the, the nature of technology and social media and, and so many things, that employees around the country, especially in the white-collar world, maybe less so in the blue-collar world, but in the white-collar world, have more voice than they've ever had before, almost almost as powerful as, as, as a union. You're seeing... You know, Goldman Sachs employees will be speaking out, you know, against uh, against their management in ways that you would have never seen uh, effectively, right. frankly, years ago. Um, you know, people speaking out on Me Too issues and other things inside of Google. And of course, inside of Google turns to be outside of Google. So the power that uh, of the voice now, whether that ultimately uh, translates into, um, you know, greater pay, um, or things of that sort. But I think you're actually seeing lots of change. In fact, I've heard from lots of senior leaders who say the org chart, if you will, has been inverted in many cases because you do have uh, so many employees who do now have a say in the strategy even of a company. I want those Goldman uh, partners to unionize. You know, I mean, did you see that crappy bonus this year, 185000 I want them to, you know, get the signs out, marching in front of, uh, of Goldman headquarters. No way. We want, you know, 185 grand. Who can live on a bonus of 185 grand, Andrew? I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to work for those, those people. Do you? Maybe not. Um, the other thing I was thinking about, um, there, has been, there has been a negative stigma to certain unions, too. The teachers' union is always a, a, the target uh, of a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of criticism. And uh, uh, to who at many times the union is representing, whether it's, it's more about union management, uh, less about maybe students. We, I mean, we hear it's such a, a hot-button issue, but we do know about the slow, steady decline, which a lot of people would like to reverse, obviously, um, in the NLRB. Under Republican administrations, when they put you know, Republicans in there, uh, you see right to work uh, gets maintained. Uh, now we're going to look like we're going to reverse some of the right to work um, uh, regulations or at least make it easier. So that was we my, go back and forth. That was my point. On. You know, we're watching this nationally with, with such paying such close attention to it. When you look at the numbers, early vote, 45 percent of the workers didn't even bother to cast a vote. Right. Now, now, interestingly, the union, I don't know if you how much you followed of this other part. They're arguing that one of the reasons that people aren't voting at all is because there's, there's been this intimidation effort that's taken place at Amazon. Obviously, impossible to speak to for, for me because I haven't done any reporting on the ground to, to see it. There's issues about this, this ballot box that was uh, effectively located. Um, it wasn't a ballot potentially box. It illegally. was a post office box. A, a, a po post I, I office box. I read that, that story was, and I don't get it. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that was located there potentially illegally. There was a lot, lot, clearly lots of effort on both sides uh, about this. So there's lots of um, it's a story that's not going away. I'm uh, people telling me that Georgia is is east of Alabama. But I have found that Mobile, Alabama, is west 
of Florida. You go over and you're in the panhandle. So I'm basically right. And I was going to draw one of those Donald Trump. Uh, remember when that hurricane oh, he said no. it, when it went yes, off? Yes, yes. <laughs> With the sharpie. I'm going to draw that. I'm going around Georgia, underneath and around. and I'm, So we can it, say it's, you're it's, right. I meant overall it's east. Overall. Overall it's, it's, it's kind south. of east. East, south, east. Oh, anyway. Florida Governor uh, Ron DeSantis said the state's going to sue the CDC, demanding that cruise ships uh, be allowed to resume sailing immediately. He said he doesn't believe the federal government has the right to mothball a major industry for over a year. As for the rationale, the governor uh, cited the availability of vaccines. It will be available literally for everyone, regardless of age, regardless of occupation, all that, uh, within a matter of weeks. And so if you're saying under that circumstance that it's you can't let the cruise line shale, sail, then you're basically an anti-vaxxer. I mean, you're saying the vaccines don't work, I guess, because if the vaccines work, then everything needs to be back to normal. The CDC shut down cruises last year when several COVID outbreaks uh, were tied to ships. Uh, worldwide. And, and you might recall that was right at the very beginning. We had some cruise ships off, I think, both coasts. And it, you know, there were, you know, we didn't want, at least at one point, the administration didn't know what to do, didn't know whether to leave they let them let back them in. in. Finally, they did let them back in, but it had to be uh, dealt they with in a certain weeks. way. But it, 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 the cruise ship played a large role for some reason uh, right at the beginning of all this if you recall, which has now been over a year. A new report of the Wall Street Journal says that Procter & Gamble helped develop a technique being tested in China to gather iPhone data for targeted ads. Now, it's an attempt to circumvent Apple's new privacy tools. The journal says that P&G joined forces with dozens of Chinese trade groups and tech firms, which would use device fingerprinting to track users. It's a response to new Apple software that will require app users to choose whether they want their activity to be tracked across company apps and websites. The company says that Tencent and TikTok parent ByteDance were also involved in testing this new technique. So, not a, not a great I think PR this is an situation where sunlight, this PR is an issue story. where sunlight will probably, it's not, it's, it's a terrible PR story. And I think that that is what will cure this. My guess is this initiative gets, uh, you know, tossed overboard based on the reaction that's going to come from this, because that's a stupid idea. Apple gets to say we're trying to protect your privacy, and Procter & Gamble is going to say no, but we're going to exploit it and find out anyway. Good luck keeping that up. By working with China. By working with our friends in China. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, My guess is that this will not will last. stop, though? I don't know. If everybody's doing it in I China, so. they may not. You know, the very first thing I thought was the next time we have the CFO on, this is the first question we're asking. You know, like Andrew, like I, I might mention at home, you know, honey, maybe Bhutan would be a nice place to go. And, you know, then I'll be on my phone and it says great rates in Bhutan. <laughs> so, I mean, something's happening. Is it, it, is it not with with directed no, ads? I've You've noticed the same. It, right? and I think You've it's getting it, more. Right? I've I mean, seen it happen stuff. more in the last probably two months. Toe yes. fungus. How many people have toe oh. fungus? And suddenly there it is, do. like all these different remedies for, for toe fungus comes up, right? right. It's not, not yes. your microphone, No, it's really Joe. weird. It really isn't. No, I know. But it is stuff you look, you, you Google. Yes. It's stuff you Google. 100%. And you should go to Bhutan. It's the happiest place in the world. <laughs> I know you've been. It is. That, that's that place where that, that one monastery is like impossibly situated, isn't it? Did you go? Did you, I'd be too afraid. Yep. Yeah. I, I look did at the, it and I, I, get, I get weak need. 
Oh my God! I, yeah. I, I did that hike. That was that was a hike. It was a full day hike, but but, but worth every second. You're in, you are. Who's wow. been to Bhutan? That's we know like, so much about each other. Uh, yeah, we do. Way too much. <laughs> Next on Squawk Pod, black business leaders continue to speak out against Georgia's voting legislation. Roger Ferguson, head of TIAA CREF and former Fed vice chair, joins us. This is about the society we want to run that is fair, that's equitable, and that, frankly, is safe for corporate America. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin, USA. Georgia's new election law. You've been hearing about it and corporate leaders are coming out against it. Many, including executives and Democrats, believe this law will make casting a vote more difficult in the state, particularly for African-Americans. Corporate opposition swelled with a letter signed by more than 70 black executives calling on their peers to speak out. Last week, the two men leading the charge, Merck CEO Ken Frazier and former CEO of American Express Ken Chenault, joined our TV broadcast to explain their activism. We're actually making it much harder for people to actually cast their votes. And then on top of the fact that people are standing in line for ungodly hours, we now make it illegal to give those people water when they're standing in line. Because of course, we know from experience that only fraudulent voters get thirsty when they're standing in line. After the George Floyd murder, obviously countless CEOs called us for advice of what can we do? We can't be silent and corporate America can't be silent. And if they can't speak out on this issue, what can they speak out on? For more of that conversation, please check out Squawk Pod from last Wednesday, March 31st. In the wake of the letter and that interview, CEOs of Delta and Coca-Cola spoke out against the law. They're headquartered in Georgia. Major League Baseball took a stand, moving this summer's All-Star Game from Atlanta to Denver in protest. Of course, the opposition garnered its own opposition, sparking Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to speak up. You know, Republicans drank Coca-Cola, too. And we fly, and we like baseball. Taking a position on a highly incendiary issue like this and punishing a community or a state because you don't like a particular law that passed, I just think it's stupid. And then when that opposition to the opposition prompted more opposition, Senator McConnell walked it back a little. I didn't say that very artfully yesterday. They're certainly entitled to be involved in politics. They are. My principal complaint is they didn't read the darn bill. My complaint about the the CEOs, they'll read the damn bill. They got intimidated into adopting an interpretation of that given by the Georgia Democrats in order uh, to help get their way. And what did it cost them? It looks like it cost them the All-Star game 
and Major League Baseball made the same mistake. They didn't read the bill. Roger Ferguson, CEO of retirement services provider TIAA, co-signed the letter that started it all. He was on the board of governors for the Federal Reserve during the Bush administration, and he also joined Squawk Box today. Here's Andrew. Roger, it's great to see you. We appreciate you being with us. I know you're set to retire soon, uh, so, so maybe the shackles will be off and you can, you, you can say what you like. Um, let's though, start, start with this issue of voting, and I'm, I'm curious what the reaction has been over this past week, what you're, what you're hearing uh, from companies, many of who are, whom are now speaking out, but at the same time, there has been a remarkable backlash, and you've seen it from Mitch McConnell, and you've seen it from uh, the governor uh, of Georgia and others, and how do you think this plays out? Well, that, thank you very much, Andrew, for inviting me on. I'm pleased to talk to you about this very important topic. So as you observe, what we've seen is more and more companies are speaking up and expressing some concerns about the law in Georgia. Uh, And the most important thing is to recognize that those voices, uh, as as my voice, are middle-of-the-road folks, generally speaking, uh, and we do not see this, I do not see this as a partisan issue. I think this is not a Democratic or Republican issue. This is an American issue. You know, over 1,200,000 Americans have died in various wars to try to protect, you know, our way of life. Uh, Voting is a constitutional right. And certainly as an African-American, knowing that the Civil Rights Act of 65 uh, was the place that cemented the right for blacks to vote in America, I think it's important for all of us to stand up for you know, the American Constitution and the right to vote as, as enshrined therein. So I, I, I appreciate you're saying that this is not a partisan issue, except for the fact that uh, this, this effort in Georgia and, frankly, the efforts around the country uh, are coming from one side of the aisle. I know that they're coming from one side of the aisle. I think what I'm saying is that, you know, all Americans care about having uh, elections that are free and fair. And most importantly, you know, I think many of us uh, recognize that the United States, out of the 35 major industrial economies, we're number 30 in terms of voter participation or have been, according to recent statistics. And so from my standpoint, this is really just a broader issue about the kind of democracy that we want to have. Uh, and the way you want to protect all American institutions uh, that, as I said, have been, you know, the bedrock to the, the backbone of their capitalist system. So, Roger, though, speak to the the Republican viewer who's watching right now, who has uh, read the op eds in The Wall Street Journal and editorials that say that these voting laws and rules are really about securing and making uh, elections uh, fairer and more secure. And that's, what say, you, that, so, that, that's what that's what those editorials say. Right. And, and, and that's say, what the leaders who are proposing these rules say. I say it's really important to have uh, fair and free and secure elections. No one is opposed to that. But I'd say look at the facts. Um, as an example, uh, you know, there were uh, drop boxes um, in the uh, Atlanta area. Uh, there are roughly about 40 of them in the last election. Under this law, it will go down to uh, merely about eight. Uh, and those eight boxes, by the way, will be put into office buildings that are only available, you know, certain hours. So working class folks who can't get to an office building between nine and five may find themselves having a much more difficult time voting. Um, this this law also uh, almost makes mobile uh, voting booths a thing of the past. And those presumably were run in a safe and secure manner. And then obviously uh, take a look at the absentee voting, which becomes in many ways much more difficult. And so I would argue, uh, as, as I have in other places, take a look at the law and decide, gee, does this look on balance as though we're going to have more people voting or does it look on balance as though we're going to have 
fewer people voting. And then as an African-American, you know, knowing uh, that so many of the African-American voters uh, in Georgia are in and around the Atlanta area, the fact that those uh, those drop boxes have been uh, under the law or decreased by 80 percent tells me it might even have a bit of a disproportionate impact on on black voters in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area. So, Roger, Roger, complicated question for, for business leaders around the country. and Maybe you have some advice for them. Uh, there, there's a question as to whether you can publicly decry these laws on one side and support the politicians who are proposing them and pushing them on the other, either financially or otherwise, because perhaps you believe in some of the other um, issues that they are supporting. How do you square so my, it up? So my view is first you speak out clearly about the things that matter. And then, frankly, you know, use your ability to talk to these politicians to explain to them why it is that in some areas you agree with what they may stand for and in some you don't. And most importantly, when it comes to voting rights, let's elevate that up. Let's not make that a right versus left, a Democrat versus Republican question. That is an American question. There's no one that I've heard of on either side of the aisle that thinks we should have fewer people voting. You know, if we aren't careful, Andrew, uh, you realize that some of our elections, we've had fewer than 60 percent of the uh, capable of the the, the uh, qualified electorate voting. If we aren't careful, we're going to be down where fewer than half of the eligible voters vote and decide major, major policy matters. So I think we ought to look at voting as a special constitutional right for which, you know, 1.2 million Americans have died during the course of various wars to protect the American way of life and say, this is not partisan. This is about the society we want to run that is fair, that's equitable, and that, frankly, is safe for corporate America. So here's here's a hard question for you, but but I think it it must be asked. Do you look at somebody like Governor Kemp or uh, Governor Abbott or others who are proposing these rules and believe that they are fundamentally racist? Oh, I am cautious about calling names. Fundamentally racist is a strong statement. What I believe with all of these politicians is that we need to engage them on the kind of democracy that we as corporate leaders want to see. And I would argue it's a democracy that helps us move up uh, the, the rank tables from being number 30 out of 35 in terms of industrial economies, in terms of voting, to a much higher level. So I'm cautious about using words like racist. Um, that, that is not a word that comes out of my mouth easily. Uh, and I don't know these individuals directly. So I would say, you know, the way to engage is to talk about the policy issues that we see and the way we want to protect the Constitution. I want to pivot the conversation, uh, get your sense of where we are in the economy right now. I want to show you a quick um, uh, a, a quick shot of um, Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell, who was speaking about the recovery yesterday at an IMF panel with Sarah Eisen. Take a listen to this for a second. At the higher end, uh, the, the labor market has has virtually recovered, but not for people in, in the bottom 20 percent. So we've been very concerned about this from the beginning. And it amounts to, you know, nine or 10 million people, depending on, on how you count it, who were working in February of 2020 and who were who now unemployed. So they, w- they were in the workforce. They clearly want to be working, but they're not. And we will not forget those people. We'll, and we'll provide the economy the support that it needs until that job is done. When you look at where things are, what, what, is, what is your sense and what is your sense of the next couple of years here? Well, my sense of where things are in the next couple of years is first, we are clearly you know, coming out of a very turbulent time. But it feels to me, though, the economy 
uh, is in recovery and will continue to be in recovery. And I think we're doing something very interesting, which is uh, having you know very loose uh, fiscal policy. Uh, we've seen you know one point nine trillion dollars sort support package and more likely. And we're also uh, running a relatively easy monetary policy as well. I expect the next couple of years to be ones of very robust growth. Um, most economists had expected that, and I think many of us are actually you know marking up our growth expectations both for the u s and globally. Um, I also expect that we may see some frictions here and there that might lead to some temporary increases in inflation, um, but not necessarily sort of a permanent pickup in inflation. And I've heard very clearly uh, from the Federal Reserve, and you heard from uh, Chairman Powell just then, uh, that they uh, intend to be relatively patient in terms of starting to raise rates as they've got a new framework that says, you know, they want to really see inflation run a bit above 2% for a period of time before they even start, you know, to, to tighten monetary conditions even a little bit. So I think we're in for, in, you know, a, a period of continued growth. In terms then uh, of the asset mix that you're thinking about at TIA, um, has it shifted as a result of this? No, we've uh, taken a view that, you know, across asset classes, there probably are some serious opportunities. Um, I would expect equity valuations to hold up. Now, depending on how corporate earnings go, uh, those valuations can maybe go a little higher, but but we'll see. And certainly, we've always been a believer in, in alternative asset classes that I think will uh, perform reasonably well. And um, given how things turn up in the uh, the infrastructure bill, we've already seen a number of investors uh, focusing on industrial uh, economy uh, and, and companies. So I think there will be... A, a broad range of asset classes that are likely to do well uh, as the economy, both in the U.S. and around the world, continue to improve. Uh, you've named Tassanda Duckett from J.P. Morgan, who you know uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, to take your to take your uh, job uh, when you retire next month. Uh, what, what's next for you? Well, thanks for asking. Well, I'm retiring from the CEO position at TIAA, but I'm not retiring from the labor force. So uh, Chairman Powell won't need to worry about that. I intend to work in a portfolio of activities. I'm going to be on several corporate boards, hope to engage with a number of people uh, who are half my age in, in fintech activities, hoping to you know, drive more inclusion there. And then I'll also be doing uh, some think tank type work. So I'm going to be you know, fully engaged, uh, maybe working merely 35 hours a week, not, not the 60 plus that I've been working over the last several years. Hey, Roger, just on that note, by the way, thanks for being here and it's good to see you. We did hear from uh, Jamie Dimon this week that he thinks fintech needs to be a little more closely monitored, that they are not regulated the same way the banks are. And, and, and maybe that's a mistake. What would you say as somebody who's about to embark on a career in, in fintech? I, I would say look, fintech actually has to be thought of as part of the financial services industry. Uh, and you know, one of the pieces of advice that I always give the, the young entrepreneurs is to recognize that if you're getting into financial uh, technology, you are getting into finance. Uh, and the rules that apply to banks and others are or will be applying to you. Um, I also remind them uh, that if they become, let's say, vendors or major suppliers to the large, more established financial services firms, you know, the, the Federal Reserve requires uh, big firms to understand what's going on with their vendors and suppliers. So I think the notion of uh, uh, being regulated as part of the financial services industry is probably you know, going to occur uh, in, in pockets with the world of fintech. Okay. Roger Ferguson, it's always good to see you. I hope you come on back. Maybe a lot more. You'll have a little bit of extra time. So we're looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. 
Coming up, Bitcoin boom means a boost for Robinhood. CNBC's Kate Rooney breaks down the crypto trading volume up six-fold since last year. It's a whole new way of thinking, uh, Kate, in terms of what is a network and what is that blockchain network actually worth. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. Crypto trading is taking off, and that's good news for Robinhood. Ahead of its expected initial public offering, Kate Rooney joins us now with more. Talked about how good it was for Coinbase. Also, Robinhood, both of them coming public. That's right. It's been a big week for crypto. Robinhood is the latest company to benefit from this recent Bitcoin boom. In March alone, the startup saw 3.5 million clients trade cryptocurrencies for the first time. That was with both new and existing investors. Robinhood has seen about 3 million new crypto traders per month to start this year. For comparison, the monthly averages last year were around the low 100,000s. Robinhood now has 9.5 million people trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and even Dogecoin in some cases. That's up sixfold from the end of last year. This could be good news for Robinhood ahead of its IPO in coming months. Its main profit engine of selling customer trades came under fire during the GameStop saga. Trading and crypto trading could help diversify that revenue. And for other companies, crypto trading has proven to be profitable. Coinbase reported an estimated $1.8 billion in revenue for the first quarter, almost entirely from trading fees. That was more than it made in all of last year. Square, in its fourth quarter, reported about the same revenue level. It was $1.8 billion just from Bitcoin trading. Square stock is up more than 12% this week. Analysts do expect to see a similar boost as Bitcoin prices doubled in the first quarter. Joe, back to you. A lot of ripples. A lot of ri- Uh-oh. Is Ripple a cryptocurrency, too? I think it might be. I didn't mean <laughs> XRP, it. XRP, Joe. It's I didn't XRP. Mean that. <laughs> oh, no. Take but, it back. <laughs> uh, that move from 5,000 to, to 60,000, I mean, it, it did. It, look at all. I mean, the, the tentacles are, are everywhere, and it's not just... Uh, not just Bitcoin. Even when we talk NFTs, a lot of times we, we tie it to uh, th- that move as well. So it, we better we got to hire some right. people, Kate. We got to hire some people <laughs> to get on this beat, I think. Right. I know there's a lot going on. It's more like you mentioned, there's a lot of the, they call them altcoins, but those alternative cryptocurrencies. The whole market cap has now reached two trillion dollars. And people are saying that you've, in the meantime, you've seen Bitcoin stay pretty stable. So they say that there's actually more people moving into those other cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin isn't as popular, you know, as it was even a couple of months ago. It's a whole new way of thinking, uh, Kate, in, in terms of what is a network. I, I mean, you think about what the Amazon network is worth and they sometimes you hear people say that they, the comparisons to Amazon for uh, for crypto. And what is that blockchain network actually worth? And those questions, no one knows the answer, but uh, we're going to con- continue to discuss. Good to see you. Kate Rooney. Great to see you. Thanks, Joe. 
That's Squawk Pod for today and for another week. You made it to Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to and share Squawk Pod. Help us spread the word about this podcast. And thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.